Please be seated. As you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we continue to work through this letter. Uh, We are in chapter 5. We will uh, read this morning from verses 15 uh, through 21. Now there is too much to cover here, um, and so Lord willing, we will start today and finish next Sunday. Now that doesn't mean we're going to be here through that whole period. We'll, We'll leave and come back. Uh, but Lord willing, we will work through this. There is, there is a lot here, as, as uh, we have already been looking uh, throughout this entire letter, how much content Paul has, has, has condensed into this little letter. Ephesians 5, uh, beginning in verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask you this morning, to reveal yourself to us afresh through these words that you revealed to Paul so long ago. You tell us that you are a living God and that your words are living and active, that they pierce, that they are are actively engaging and that they do not return to you without accomplishing your purposes. And so help us to be meek and humble before your word and to look and to listen as we long to see and savor Christ afresh as you reveal him to us through this living word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and give us wills that are willing to receive and to act. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Years ago, when we lived on Lookout Mountain, I decided that, you know, it's kind of a waste to live up on this beautiful mountain and not see its beauty. I was also, at the time, wrestling with a lot of stress, a lot of frustration, uh, and had read about the importance that writers of the past used to place on walking. And what a benefit walking can be. And so I was like, all right, I live on this beautiful mountain. I want to see its beauty. I'm reading here that walking might help. So let's, let's combine the two. And I took up hiking. And I know what you're thinking. I look exactly like a hiker. 
But I took it up, and uh, it, was, it became a wonderful time for me. And in fact, the, the elders of the church even noticed that everything in the ministry seemed to be flowing better, and uh, things seemed to be uh, going better for me personally. And so I kept walking, and I kept hiking, and there are so many trails on Lookout Mountain that there's this endless opportunity but uh, one of the one of the main trails that I first started on in that first year I probably did that one trail once or twice a week that first year and so by the end of that first year I had done that that section a lot well one afternoon um, I wanted to go for a quick a quick hike and I asked Hannah and Lydia if they wanted to go with me and they were foolish enough to say, yes, we'll go with you, Dad. And so we went for a hike, and we, we did a section um, that I had not done as much, uh, but it was going to connect to that, that, that primary route that I knew very well. And so that section that I didn't know as well, uh, because of the time of year, it had overgrown quite a bit. And it was difficult to stay on the path. We eventually got through, but it took longer than I was anticipating. And so guess what was starting to happen? The sun was starting to go down. And if you are like me and you grew up on the coast, the sun getting close to the horizon isn't too big of a deal because where I grew up, it is flat. You still have a lot of time. But when you're on a mountain, guess what? Light starts to disappear very quickly. So I pulled out my headlamp. I was like, all right, we'll, we'll flip it on, we'll make our way. Flipped it on, and, and the, lights came, the light came on, and we were able to get back to um, that section that I knew really well. Well, as we started to descend that section, the light started to grow dim and dimmer and dimmer. And so now I'm on this mountain. I've got my, my two little girls with me. And, and we are descending this, this, this trail that is full of rocks and roots and everything you can think of that you can catch a toe on. And they've never done it at all. And my light is going out. Well, guess what? We made it okay. I had enough of the light that as we were descending, I knew where we were every time we, I was able to catch enough of a glance of a marker. And not, not, a mount, not one of the markers they have, but where I knew, okay, I know where I am because I, I know this rock. I know this tree that leans this way across the path that I always have to duck for. I know, I know what's going on here as we curve around. I know where we are. And I was able to navigate us down the mountain. Now, I'm not saying that it was a very wise move to, to go out without checking the batteries. But because I had been engaged in the practice of walking that trail so frequently, I was able to, to get us down. What the Apostle Paul has been talking to us about in this section of Ephesians is the importance that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, the importance that we take in walking well 
as those who are following him from this life into the life that is yet to come. And he has talked to us specifically in this section about walking in love. That as Jesus gave himself up for us as as a sacrificial act of love, that we, our our lives, are are to be subsumed in, in participation of that sacrifice of Christ, that the life of the Christian faith that we live out is a participation in the cross, and that we love sacrificially as Christ loved us and as the Father loves us in Christ. We respond to the Trinity with that love, and we love one another, walking in love, but also walking in light. And what we we took several uh, uh, sermons to look at is this section of the importance of of the Christian church recognizing its unique identity and calling as those who, who participate in the life of the triune God who describes himself as light, who is robed in light. The one who, whose wisdom is revealed through his light. And as we, we learn from Jesus, right, in the Sermon on the Mount, that we aren't to let our light hide behind the bushel. All right, now, who's, who? come on. Uh, let me see your hands. Who is singing the song in your head? Good. It's a good song. It's a wonderful song. But don't let your light hide behind the bushel. Let your light shine. And Paul says that to a group of Christians who live in an extremely dark area, to let their light shine. The limitations for the church in letting our light shine in the midst of of aggressive darkness. The only limit is the limit of your faith and your fear. The Apostle Paul is writing these things to a group of people who would look at our situation right now and say, y'all don't know. They would say y'all because if you remember, Ephesus is on the southern coast of Asia Minor. They would say, y'all don't know how good you have it. Now, that's not the way we look at our situation. We look at the rapid changes that are happening with regards to immorality and sexuality and gender and all the different discussions going on, and they would look at us and say, you don't know how good you have it. The world they lived in, it was so flagrant, and it was so open, but it was also expected And if you did not participate, what it meant was you were not participating in the worship of Artemis. It meant that you were not participating in the worship of Dionysus. And it meant you weren't participating in the worship of all kinds of other gods as well. And their lack of participation, we are told in the book of Acts, it was was so problematic that it was affecting the economy negatively. 
And the result was there was fear in the pagan unbelievers that because of these Christians, they were going to make Artemis mad. And she was going to withhold her blessings. And so there was a riot. And the Apostle Paul is, is, is taken by this group of rioters where they are taken there into the assembly where they chant over and over and over and over tens of thousands of people. And look, that's not a big deal to us. But in that day and age, that there, they, you couldn't put that many people together in one spot, but they could because they had that magnificent theater. And tens of thousands of people chanting to Artemis and crying out for the blood of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, writing to the church that witnessed that, tells them, don't be participants with them in their paganism. You are in the light. You are the light. The calling that you and I have, the calling that we have as a church, is to be so thoroughly grounded in, in our new identity in the crucified and risen Savior that the courage and the faith and the meekness and the humility to embody Christ in a dangerous world is lived out in a purposeful manner. Notice when he says don't become participants, he's not saying, okay, so you guys go set up your gospel ghettos somewhere. And you guys just huddle up and you just kind of wait. He also doesn't say, so go out and take over everything. And if you have to use power and authority, if you have to use the sword, or if you have to use any means that the world uses, it's okay. Go and take over. He doesn't say that either. What he says is bear witness to who Jesus Christ is and what he has done as those who are united to him by faith. We are participants in this world, we are not participants in worldliness. And we participate very specifically, as Paul has already told us in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. We are participants as those who have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We participate as those who are no longer dead in our sins and trespasses, those who are no longer held captive to our sin and the dark forces of, of the spiritual powers that are arrayed against Jesus Christ, and we are no longer held captive to death. We are those who have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are ambassadors of the heavenly places. And our faith, as we grasp hold of that, the Apostle Paul tells us, is how we walk in love. It is how we walk in light. And now, as we get into our passage today, it is how we go about walking in wisdom and walking in the Spirit. Now, notice in verse 15, he tells us from the very beginning that we are to walk 
circumspectly. We are to be careful. We are to be watchful. We are to be observant. And the the observations that we make are to be precise and, and to be accurate. Because if we don't walk circumspectly, you're going to trip over the roots that are on the path. You're going to trip on the rocks that are on the path. You're going to stumble, and you might even fall. Watch. Be careful. Be observant. Be aware so that you can be sure-footed. Why? Because the days are evil. The days are evil. We live, as, as we looked at last year, as we worked through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, we live in a world that has been cursed by God because of the fall into sin. And we live in a world in which that curse will not be lifted until God is ready to do so when he returns. And until that day comes, the world is cursed. It's still a good world. It still bears his beauty. It still reflects his truth. It still embodies his goodness. The Apostle Paul says that through creation, we can still know that he exists. But it is cursed. It is broken. And the things that are tied to it if you remember, Solomon says, are hevel, like cotton candy. Mmm, cotton candy. All right? You can see cotton candy. You can hold cotton candy. What happens as soon as you put it in your mouth? Well, if it's good cotton candy, it disappears. That's hevel. That's what Solomon means when he says vain or vanity. It's like cotton candy. That's the world right now because of God's curse, because of man's sin. And yet, even though the days are evil, guess what? God is still present in his world. God is still active in his world. This world is his. He made it. It still bears the marks of his goodness, his truth, his beauty, his presence. God is still here. And the best way for the world to see that, beloved, is by seeing the body of Christ. This means that our very existence as ambassadors of the heavenly places is that we are that tangible, real, concrete expression of Jesus Christ in this world. The Christ who, when he took on flesh, didn't come down thundering judgment and condemnations. But the one who came in humility, taking on flesh and being born in the humblest of circumstances. Because as we've talked about before, God loves to put his power on display through using what seems to be weak and insignificant to constrain the entirety of redemptive history and eschatological realities to their fulfillment. He likes to take what seems to be small, seems to be powerless, seems to be trivial, seems to be insignificant, seems to be weak. And what could be weaker than following a God 
who died on a Roman cross. What could be more silly? What could be more foolish than to think that victory and life are found through crucifixion? This is the way of the cross. It befuddles the Jew and it, 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 it befuddles the Gentile. Because the world, when they think of victory, they think in terms of the exercise of power, through the exercise of superior strength. I'm going to outvote you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to threaten you. I'm going to scare you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to cancel you. And guess what? They are. More and more for the last 10 years, you, you can't pay attention without knowing that there are, are uh, believers, and now it's not even believers. It's, it's just anyone who doesn't go along with the agenda. But people who are being fired from their jobs, professors who are losing their positions. The days are evil. Are you going to run? Are you going to get scared? Worse. Worse. Are you going to get mad? Are you going to get mad and act like a jerk? And decide that, well, if you're going to be mean to me, then I'm going to be mean back. I'm pretty sure Jesus said something about that as well. The days are evil. And so Paul tells us what we are to do is to be wise, not foolish. And you know what is foolish? Thinking that the world threatens the kingdom of God. You know what's foolish? Thinking that someone threatening your job can somehow threaten you. You know what is foolish? Thinking that what we need to do to take things back for Jesus as if he lost them is to engage in the same tactics but just try to do them better. Guess what? We'll never do those tactics better. You know why? Because the Spirit of God resides in us and will not allow us to go as far as those whose hope is in the things of this world. We are to be wise in the way that we live in the midst of evil days. And we are to make every opportunity to bear witness to the superior worth of Jesus Christ in the face of any threat, in the face of any argument, in the face of any difficulty. Is Jesus superior? Is Jesus your confidence? Is Jesus on his throne above? You just sang it a moment ago, so make sure you didn't sing falsely. Is Jesus watching over and accomplishing the eternal purposes of his Father? Is there anything that can stop that from happening?
not even his death. And so, beloved, we are to be wise. And the wisdom that we, that we live with, the Apostle Paul has told us in 1 Corinthians that we read earlier, is the wisdom of the cross. The wisdom that's not going to make sense. The wisdom that's not going to play out in a way that, it, that, that, um, that, that impresses the world. It is a wisdom that will receive mockery, will receive laughter, and yet is the means by which God is constraining everything into the new heavens and the new earth. We are to be wise, he says, and not foolish. And we are to grow in this as we grow in our understanding of God's revealed will. And so as we are learning what God has revealed to us, the Apostle Paul says, as we are learning these things, we open ourselves up to them more and more, and we participate in the presence and power and realities of a crucified and risen Savior, that we open up our lives to him so that the Spirit, as he dwells within us and is conforming Christ within us, that, that we, in being formed into the image of Christ, might shine as the lights that the people living in darkness need. Oh, it is so tempting to want to just engage politically. And I'm not saying don't engage politically. But do not reduce your engagement to politics. Christian maturity, just like Jesus, as Jesus, as, as Luke tells us in Luke 2, Jesus, who was born in the image of God, who was born sinless, says that he grew in wisdom. As he matured, and as he even opened himself up more and more, whatever that means for that human dynamic of Christ's existence, he grew. And beloved, you and I are to grow as well as we don't just learn the information about God, but as we actually open our lives up to the, the revealed will, will of God and we say, whatever you will do in me and do through me. This is not us learning information, and then exercising control over that information by choosing what we decide to value and put into practice so that we don't just embrace and engage in the things that Scripture teaches that fits nicely with a white middle-class existence, but that we open ourselves up to the presence of God. And we say, work within us according to your will. And as the Spirit moves and as we hear God speak in his word and as we are learning what God has revealed about himself and opening ourselves up more and more to that, what will happen, beloved, is it is like you walking that path over and over and over again so that you're learning where are the rocks, where are the roots, where are we in the midst of the darkness, what is going on as we follow Christ. 
And do not get afraid and do not get angry, but entrust ourselves to God. Have you ever noticed what it's like watching a child learn? Is it often marked by peaceful acceptance? A peaceful willingness to sit still and be instructed? To to sit there and to immediately embrace the value of what's being taught? This is so important to me. I need to listen and I need to you know, realign some of my values and what I'm doing. That's not how children learn. It is busy. It is active. They do not sit still. But not only that, even as children grow and they, they hit those preteen years and they hit those teenage years, that, that there is this continued and rightful continuation of wrestling with what it means to grow and to mature and to test and to learn. And yet how often and when we see uh, the young people growing, is it marked by this anxiety filled uncertainty where where it is so tempting for them to to put themselves at the center because that's where they feel comfortable it's not because they're horrible people it's not because the young you know all they can do is think about themselves it is where it's what they know at this point in their lives and and they and they developmentally have themselves at the center as they're learning as they're growing, as they're maturing, and yet it is an anxiety-filled, noisy, self-important activity. Maturity is quiet. It is content. It is to pursue a life of obedient humility because you yourself already got to make so many mistakes that you uh, hopefully have learned from at this point, that you realize, you know what, that mistake isn't going to crush them. That mistake isn't going to throw them completely off. That mistake is not somehow going to take them out of God's will. We make mistakes as we grow and as we, we take one step after another, walking along this path, learning as we go where we allow God to redress us as we go, knowing that we will never have it all figured out, but that you and I will continuously have to learn. We will continuously have to grow. We will continuously open up ourselves more and more and more to God. And so Paul is telling us to walk in wisdom. Don't walk in foolishness. And then, Lord willing, next week, he tells us to walk in the Spirit. You ever seen a drunk guy walk? Not very coordinated. Not very... Sure-footed. Paul tells us not to be drunk on wine, but to be filled 
with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. Lord willing, we'll look at this next week, but I hope what you see is Paul is being real and honest about the difficulties this church faces. He does not tempt them to run and to hide, and he doesn't tempt them to take over. He tempts them with the heavenly places. He tells them, feast on it and then embody those realities in everything that you face and do it over and over and over and over, making mistakes every time you attempt it and yet opening yourself up to the leading of God through his spirit as he forms you in the image of his son who himself grew in wisdom, who has become our wisdom, and by faith, beloved, is granting you and reshaping you according to his wisdom. Open yourself up and trust yourself to it and take a chance this week and walk by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess how we prefer to have things nice and neat and tidy. And not only the good things, we like the bad things to be nice and neat and tidy. Because the old Adam is still present within us. And we wrestle and we struggle with wanting to live and and to understand the world according to what is comfortable, according to what we understand naturally, according to that which does not challenge us. We like the light when it reveals the truth to us. We do not like the light when it reveals us to the truth. And so, Lord, we ask that as you continue to form Christ within us, that you would help us to walk in in love as we enter into the sacrifice of Christ over and over again and humbling ourselves before you and entrusting ourselves to you. And Lord, as we walk by faith and not by sight, and as we walk in the humility of Jesus Christ, as we walk in his meekness and in his wisdom, we are begging you, Lord, use us to shine light into the darkness. And use us, Lord, to help free people from the darkness and to be drawn into the eternal kingdom of your beloved Son. Lord, as we love you, help us to love others. And help us to do this through the foolishness of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.